Hey, you've tuned into Pipe Candy's Merchant Tree, where our host, Ashwin Ramasamy, gets the best minds in e-commerce to tell it how it really is. Get a front row seat to the latest trends in the e-commerce vertical and tell the hyperbole from the real deal. Hey, welcome back to the second part of this special two-part episode with Vijay Ramachandran. We have a lot more to unpack, so sit back and enjoy the show. Let's make some noise, shall we? So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about the impact of population dispersion on the, the last mile delivery, right? Last mile carriers specifically. So you talk about niches and, and curation and so on, and we talk about network density and stuff like that. What's the impact of this dispersion on last mile carriers? Yeah, so it, it's it's a really interesting question. You know, the the largest carriers they've got to invest even more in in residential delivery. So we're talking about earlier, the you know larger fleets, more drivers. It's a very capital intensive game, right? And that's why there, it's it's a lot. You know, I, I kind of think of it like you look at the mobile wireless market or the cable TV market, but mobile wireless is a probably better example. How many national providers do you have? You've got Verizon, you got AT&T, you got right. T-Mobile, you had Sprint, right? And the reason there are only four, three or four national carriers and the, the bottom two, you know, merged, right? Mm -hmm. So the reason you have so few is because of the high barrier to entry, it's high capital investment cost, right? And, and that investment that's required prevents others from entering the market. You do have, a, a group called MVNOs, like, like Google, Google has their mobile wireless network on the back of existing networks, the MVNO networks, yep. which kind of lease space from existing, existing carriers, right? right? Now, a similar thing plays out in the delivery space because last mile is the most expensive component of delivery. You have this opportunity in regional areas to, to partner up with regional players. And some of these regional players could be crowdsourced delivery, right? In the, maybe in the New York area, you've got a few, maybe in the LA area, there's some regional players. You also have examples where Amazon, where FedEx and others are contracting with local fleets, regional carriers, couriers networks that are more advanced than just crowdsource who are you know, part-time delivery drivers. You've got an actual small business or mid-sized business in a metro area. And what's happening there at that level is, is incredibly interesting, right? Because on the crowdsource side, you've got challenges to labor issues like the, the, the California proposition the around- issues, yes. Yeah. Right? Are they are they are they employees? Are they contractors? Right? You see this this challenge in Europe as well, but it's it's playing out here in the states. It'll probably take a little bit longer to play out here in the states, obviously. But this question of how does crowdsourced labor work, and how how do you get workers' rights? I mean, Amazon is even seeing it in some parts of their network on on unionization initiatives, right. Right. and that's going to become a larger consideration of how how much scale do you have to have in order to make crowdsourced labor feasible, right? Because you, you may not be able to do it at a small scale. You might have to be large enough to be able to provide things like health benefits or, or, or retirement plans or something in order to satisfy local regulation and around what, 
I mean, it's not just regulations. Sorry to cut you through. It's not just regulations. I mean, Amazon is saying $15 per hour wages, right? And it's only going to keep increasing. Amazon can leave everyone out. So, yeah. It's yeah, it's the expensive of our hourly rates and and yeah, competition. I mean, the labor markets as people move out further away from cities, the labor market for delivery drivers or warehouse workers becomes even more constrained. I mean, it's constrained now, space and labor. It's going to become even more constrained because you've got a smaller labor pool available to to run drive trucks, delivery trucks, or delivery right. cars or vans. And, and so you need to start to establish some scale. And so what we're, I think what we're going to likely see is some consolidation of regional players. I think it's going to be super regionals doing fleets of trucks, hiring people to actually drive those trucks. But in order to do that, you've got to have those partnerships with middle mile providers. Your largest carriers are going to want to do the end-to-end flow. So you're going to have middle mile providers, Pitney Bowes is, is an example of, of them, right? We, we work with the, the post office for last mile. The nice thing about working with the post office is they have to deliver to every address in the U.S. six days a week, right? That scale already exists. And, and a lot of what these regional players need to be able to do is to layer on top with additional value on being more parcel oriented, more focused on seven day delivery, let's say, or appointment driven delivery or maybe value added services, because there's, an, there's this gap between what the post office can do in terms of volume and scale and what the national carriers end up having to charge because it's so unprofitable for them to work coast to coast in in last mile delivery. And so you're going to see some consolidation happening on last mile providers in a kind of a franchise model where you might contract with an Amazon, you might contract with an eBay or a QVC or someone like that to do regional deliveries. You're already seeing this. There's partnerships happening with retailers and and regional providers like OnTrack on the West Coast or or LaserShip. There's there's regional providers that are doing this today with directly with retailers, but the scale just isn't there, right? And the reliability in some cases is not there. And so you're going to see more and more, I think, consolidation to build both reliability and, and economies of scale right so and and because it's low margin the parcel last mile is a deadly combination low margin then there's returns on top of it and so on are we going to see uh longer delivery windows and and how do brands manage consumer expectations especially for someone moving from new york to say boise idaho i mean they're going to migrate yes but they won't migrate with along with their expectations that they've you know carried from new york so is there going to be a lot of education from brand side in terms of like you know shipping time and so on what's going to happen there it's a it's a great question so there's a, there's a couple of threads here one is around residential delivery being a, a greater convenience right there's, that's a little bit of uh, air cover i think for brands we you know we we do these part of the data we're talking about here, we do weekly surveys of consumers and and it's part of where we found all this data on dispersion and, and what's happening in the market with consumers moving. We also asked about kind of convenience. What do, you, what do you expect the convenience factors to be after you move, especially out of the city? And the big differences are, you know, in the city, you may not have the option of a lot of boxes being delivered to your door because you live in an apartment building, right? Or a, or a multi, multi-unit building of some kind, duplex, triplex, quadplex. There's, there's a variety of urban 
residential structures that don't work well, maybe even apartment complexes where you get deliveries to a centralized mailroom, it doesn't work well for either easy pickup, scheduled pickup, to make sure you're home because you have to make, make sure you get the package right away or else it might get, you know, might disappear. Or the, the, the returns aspect, home pickup of returns is incredibly convenient for consumers. And those expectations start to be ameliorated as you move further out from urban areas because you start to have more porches available for delivery or for pickup, right? You might have a larger mailbox that you can you can own and, and have street side or another delivery, like delivery in, into your garage or on the side of your house. There's more options for secure delivery and secure pickup that, that start to ameliorate a little bit or take the edge off, I think, the harsher reality of you're not going to get it today, but you aren't going to have to be there at home or run into the mailroom as soon as you get get some time to pick up the delivery when you get the notification. The second thing is that, you know, retailers, we work with retailers on branded tracking because a lot of retailers, you know, if you're you're using uh, a platform like a Shopify or you're using, you know, a headless system, you might rely on carrier tracking to do kind of the legwork of communicating to consumers as the delivery is being tracked. And as delivery has become longer, the need to, to own that, you've, if you've spent so much time on building your brand story and all the, the cult-driven commerce we're talking about earlier, if you've spent all that on your brand, handing over multi-days of communication to a carrier is not really the, the best ROI, right? Because you've converted that customer. They haven't received their package yet. We know, we track this every week. We know that on average, consumers are checking tracking messages on an order four times on average, right? And if you imagine that average delivery times are you know, somewhere around a week, it's a lot of checking of tracking messages. So brands can do a much better job on branding and owning the, uh, the communication status. Yeah, absolutely. So what is PipeCandy? PipeCandy is the industry standard data set that tracks over a million e-commerce and direct-to-consumer brands. Demand generation, corporate strategy, analytics, and product teams use PipeCandy to get their share of the e-commerce land grab. Sign up for a free trial today at PipeCandy.com. All right. After that classy self-promotion, we are back to the show. So, I mean, you touched upon this, like there's one thing about shipping and there's there's the other thing about returns and refunds. That's a painful area as well, right? So if logistics is going to be costly, what's going to happen in the reverse logistics side of things? Yeah, I mean, the, the returns thing is really interesting, right? So we, we know that 42% of US consumers prefer home pickup over any other returns option. And chances are, that's that's going to cost retailers, right? There's a resident. Like, it, you can't unless you're working with you know a postal option. You're not going to have a reliable pickup or the free pickup option from residences day in and day out. So you've got to drive consumers to go to a drop off location, which starts to introduce some level of friction. What we found, especially during the pandemic, is that close to thirty. like 34% of consumers are holding back from purchases because the process is either inconvenient Mm -hmm. or it's, they feel during the pandemic, it was unsafe 
right? They didn't want to go into a brick and mortar location to drop off a return. And so you had all you already have purchasing being held back by economic concerns. Now you have a layer on top of uh, hesitance to buy because the returns aren't aren't easy. And so you have an opportunity now with, with this dispersion to make residential delivery possible, but it's going to get more expensive. There's an opportunity here to offer things like if it's a label in a box or an easy way to print out a label. We found that, you know, there's uh, 61% of consumers have they either have a printer and don't use it to print shipping labels or don't have a printer at all, right? So printing shipping labels is a problem. So offering like a labelless option where you can get a QR code and you get that scanned at a drop-off location. There's options like that that can take the edge off of having to go somewhere. If you have to pay for residential pickup, having go somewhere drop-off return, you can make that a little bit easier by offering a labelless option. You know, what's interesting, it's a little trivia. I was reading the Wall Street Journal, Joanna Stern had a review of, of home office printers because we're all working from home, right? Yeah. And she mentioned like four or five times in that article, the primary use case for printers now, home office printers, is printing return shipping labels. Oh, who would have talked? Insane. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you know, I, I think that there's there's an opportunity here again as, as dispersion takes hold. That consumers are becoming more sensitive to certain types of returns options because you know, going to a drop off location maybe where it was around the corner and your when you were living in an apartment in the city, it not, might now be a 10 to 15 minute drive. Right. Right. And now what, what happens then is we, we back in 2003 or so, we've been doing returns for a while. We coined this term trunk time and trunk time is the amount of time uh, a consumer holds on to a return before they go drop it off. Right. Or they stick a label on it and have it picked up. The problem with trunk time is that it, it extends the amount of time it takes for you to return that inventory back into your sellable buckets of, of, allocatable inventory, which if you're a seasonal driven retailer brand, like a apparel brand or a home decor brand or a garden brand, that becomes a problem because you start to hit the markdown cadence, right? You're already going to have to mark it down a little bit, but now you have to mark it down even more, even liquidate it because it's out of season because they've waited so long. We found that since the pandemic, trunk time has now gone up to from four days before the pandemic was the average. Now it's gone up to six days. So the consumers are waiting like more than a week, if you consider business days, more than a week to return something. That week could impact you if you if your seasons are measured in months rather than quarters. You know, and, and so the the challenge that we've got is that we've there's this balance that retailers have to strike. You don't want to make returns so easy that returns become a problem, but at the same time, returns uh, an inconvenient returns process is holding back conversions at the cart. And so there's this balancing game that you have to play. Right. Yeah. It's the balance between like, you know, making it easy versus like writing off because like, it's not a merchandise can put back on the aisle. Yeah. So I think we are coming up close uh, uh, to the end of the uh, session. We have to talk about uh, the options that brands have in terms of platforms. There's Amazon that we talked about earlier, then there's Target, there's Walmart. So in a certain way, is this pandemic and the consequent movement across America, you know, giving a lot of advantage to these incumbents. I mean, so with Amazon, I'm used to Prime and Prime gives great value, no shipping fees and so on and so forth. And they probably have national coverage better than anyone else. So uh, does that mean brands have to kind of like work with them more often than they would have imagined in a non-pandemic world. 
And where does that leave companies like Target or Walmart and so on? And how do brands approach these three, four big platforms henceforth? Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's, so in, in terms of Amazon, right? If, if you're an, un, if you've got a sort of a commodity product, there's, in the near term, there's not any avoiding an Amazon because product searches for commodity products are all starting on Amazon. Right. Right. Fungible value props. Those are, those product searches by and large are starting on Amazon. So you kind of have to be there to be discovered. If you've got a differentiated brand, it's a, it's a bit different. Now you've got an opportunity, I think, you know, for, for somewhere in that gray area between commodity and differentiated brand, you, you know, Walmart has an opportunity here in the market. And, and I really do hope they take advantage of it. You know, grocery delivery is, is now kind of a thing, right? It, yep. it wasn't really a serious value prop or, or process or a service offering before, unless you were on a subscription subscription service like a meal meal kit or something like that grocery delivery was kind of more the exception rule now consumers know about it right either curbside pickup for grocery or home delivery of groceries that's become a real thing now the advantage of grocery delivery is if you if you look at you have the advantage of the post office they deliver to homes six days a week. They have to have the scale by law. It's written in the constitution as a universal service obligation. They have to be able to deliver to every resident six days a week or uh, on a regular basis, every residence in the US. The one other way you can get deliveries to homes on a regular basis, a reliable basis that gets you that scale that we're talking about with dispersion is grocery because everybody's got to eat, right? right? And everybody shops for groceries. Well, everybody over a certain age shops for groceries. And, and so it's a reliable, at least once a week delivery that then you can use as a platform for driving affordable other deliveries of parcels like online purchases. Maybe it's you, you can get that delivered through Walmart's process if they can, they're the number one grocer in America. If yeah. anybody's got an opportunity to take advantage of weekly or, month, or multiple time a week grocery deliveries, it's Walmart. Right, and they've got the infrastructure with their store network. So there's one option for a less differentiated, but not fully commoditized, but less differentiated brand. Walmart shelves, sure, right, having space there from delivery from store, but delivering through Walmart supply chain may be a possibility as Walmart starts to merge together their idea of launching a marketplace as well as tying into their store network. They've got those two assets in play. One is well-established and one is nascent, but they're putting a lot of money behind the marketplace. And so you've got an opportunity there for the, if, if they can take advantage of it to build a third leg to the stool, which is a reliable, regularly scheduled delivery to consumers' homes. Yeah, the FBA so equivalent, right? That, exactly. It beats me why it doesn't exist. Yeah, and it's high time they do it. It's I mean, like you said, the window of opportunities now. And, and it's a big right. opportunity. And it's, it's fact, a tremendous opportunity. Yeah, in, in our data also, we are looking at some of these meal kit companies as well as grocery companies. In terms of absolute, not absolute, the percentage growth of adoption, if you look at the age groups, the age group of 55 plus is the fastest growing group when it comes to adoption of groceries, online grocery services, that is. And, and, and that's, that's a group which is a late adopter of e-commerce. And their first exposure to e-commerce is actually coming from grocery which is very fascinating. 
right? So it, it is right. I mean, the, the convenience factor was kind of eye-opening. I mean, necessity being the mother of invention, right? It's it's also the mother of adoption. And in this pandemic, I think drove drove that adoption, especially with older groups who were even more sensitive to the effects of the pandemic or the risks of the pandemic. Right. Well, so I don't want to end this session because the amount of wisdom per minute is probably like, I mean, over the roof, but we are probably very close to the end. So I'm going to be greedy and grab you for another session on a different topic. Uh, but before we, before we close, you talked about a survey, right? I mean, where can people find the survey? Yeah, absolutely. So we run weekly consumer surveys. Uh, we publish them on our website. It's a, PB, it's Pitney Bowes, pb.com slash box poll, B-O-X-P-O-L-L. Uh, and, and all of our surveys are done, run weekly. We work with our clients to kind of figure out what questions they'd like to have asked. And, and we publish kind of the best of those findings on our website at that, at that pb.com slash box poll. And that's free to download? That is free. Yeah, all the, all the monthly findings, the kind of summary findings are free to download. Awesome. Awesome. And, and if people have to reach out to you, where are you on Twitter or like email? How do yeah, I'm, uh, the best way is uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter and on LinkedIn. VJ Ramich, VJ, there's the two letters, R-A-M-A-C-H on, on Twitter. Um, just look me up, uh, VJ at Pitney Bowes on LinkedIn. Happy to take um, any questions. Would love to hear from your audience on what consumer survey questions we could put out there uh, because we're, we're doing them every week and and love to get ideas on what else folks would like to hear about. Perfect. That's that's awesome. Thank you so much, Vijay, for spending time. Really appreciate it. Hey, it was, it was a great time. Look forward to talking again. Thanks, Ashwin.